It is the 200 level episode 73 from the basement, and this is going to be kind of the dual episode where half of it we have news to talk about, the other half we're going to do a little remember when, kind of like we did on Tuesday, Monday, I'm losing track of what day it is. We of course have news on the transfer front with Alan Griffin and Tevian Jones, one surprising, one not so surprising, and today, March 26th, is the 15th anniversary of the Elite Eight comeback against Arizona. Greatest game I've ever seen, probably the greatest game I ever will see. And I know these anniversaries can be a little bit arbitrary. For example, the last episode we did the 19th anniversary of that Sweet 16 game between Illinois and Kansas back in the 2001 tournament. And as someone had tweeted out, upon rewatch, it was not exactly a graceful, elegant basketball game. It was pretty ugly, but Illinois pulled away late and Frank was Frank. So there are more nostalgic memories that I have tied into that game than it was it actually being some great basketball game. It was not, but it was a game that got Illinois to the Elite Eight. Today, we will talk about the game that got Illinois to the Final Four, and in my life, I don't think I will have another moment of just pure joy and jubilation as I did when Illinois finished that comeback against Arizona, especially because that was mere minutes after I was in the depths of despair like probably every other Illini fan. That's one of those where were you kind of moments, and anybody, any Illini fan at least, could recall the exact place that they were when they were watching that game, and that could go for general sports fans too because Jay Billis, as he was on yesterday with Jeremy and Austin, he was able to talk about, of course, he, he was on the call, but I'm even thinking about casual basketball fans that will recall that game and they could tell you the same thing well you know I was over at my friend's place and we watched first a great elite eight game between West Virginia and Louisville that thing went overtime that was before the Illinois Arizona game and then of course the Illinois Arizona game that came after that which was just phenomenal I think the West Virginia team that was the Kevin Pitsnoggle team Who's the coach? I think probably would have been John Beeline at that point, too. Okay, so for this episode of the 200 level, in the midst of this pandemic, I always want to make sure to remind you that our local sponsors, and they are all locally based, we have DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com, which is a great spot for delivery anywhere in Champaign Urbana during this pandemic. Please support your local businesses and your local restaurants. DP Doe, again, will deliver anywhere in Champaign Urbana, and it's really easy to just order online your favorite zones, custom zones, whatever it may be, at dpdoe.com. Then, of course, there's Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code the 200 level or 200 level to get 10% off your order. Again, that's fourthandkirby.com. You will need a Lanai swag eventually, so why not get it now? They got great t-shirts, and as we get into warmer weather, I already have a couple of 4th and Kirby t-shirts I plan on wearing quite a bit. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your life, auto, home, business, renters, insurance needs, whatever it may be, brianismyguy.com. They are all locally uh, born and raised products, Champaign-Urbana, so they have not only insurance expertise, but local interest at heart. So that's brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, uh, partners in our relaunch, if we can still call it that, of the 200 level, and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network as well. Let's start with the news of the day, or of the week, and this all came pretty quickly within a 24-hour period of each other. We have Alan Griffin on Tuesday night, Tuesday evening, I guess, announcing on Twitter that he was going to transfer away from Illinois. And as Karen and I got done with dinner, I saw that there was a missed call from Isaac. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Maybe it was a butt dial or something. Because usually Isaac and I and Trevor will just text. But it was a call. And then right after I started going on Twitter and then I saw the notifications come in, that's where I got another call from Isaac. And he's like, dude. First thing he said, I think, was dude. And I'm like, this sucks. You know, let's just call it what it is. 
Alan Griffin was a fan favorite for a lot of reasons. He played with an edge on a team that needed an edge. And yeah, Io, end of game situations, he had the edge. I get it. DeMonte, he'll get up in someone's grill. He had the edge. But there was a little danger, you know, playing against the rules sort of thing with Alan Griffin that I think for a team on the up, like Illinois was, a team on the rise, you do need that chip on your shoulders. And he was able to carry that with him. Unfortunately, we aren't going to see his career play out here. And to me, the biggest disappointment going beyond the on the court impact for next year's team is the fact that Alan Griffin had the makings of a star. And we saw flashes of this. Of course, the Northwestern game would be the first one you point to. But I even go back to the Maryland game where he shot, I think, one of eight from the floor. And yet any time he was on the court, it felt like we were that much better and that he was always around where the basketball was, getting rebounds, causing disruptions on defense. By no means a perfect player. He would get lost on defense sometimes. In the Iowa game, there were a few plays on defense where he just straight up lost his man. And I started to think, well, maybe there's a reason he's not getting that starting spot. But he is still getting starters minutes. Now, let's start with that. The whole issue about, do you think he left because he wasn't starting? Because DeMonte was instead of him? And I think that is a discussion worth having, though I would be very surprised Knowing what the situation would have been next year for Allen, likely starter, you know, possible breakout year for someone that had those breakout moments in his sophomore year, I'd find it surprising if he transferred because he didn't start. Because at the end of the year, he was the first man off the bench, along with Feliz, so those two guys. He was in the rotations, and then even towards the end of game situations, he began to be in those rotations where in certain other games he was not. We could look at the Northwestern game, the fact that he wasn't out there, I think, for the last five minutes after lighting it up and say, well, what's that about? And I think those are all valid discussions to have. I didn't necessarily get that myself because for the occasional blunder on defense, I thought he more than made up for it with rebounding, the nose for the ball, just kind of knowing where to be and when to be there, and the shot-making ability. I thought, okay, again, he's not perfect, but you're a better team with him on the court. But I don't think he transferred just because of that. So is this some sort of long simmering thing between him and the coaching staff? I don't know about that either, though I know his freshman year was probably a little bit more frustrating for him where you didn't quite know what you had with Allen. But you also saw enough to think that his sophomore year could be a big year for him and that I think a lot of us probably trusted him more than Tevian Jones entering last season in the short bits and spurts we saw his freshman year. So maybe it was some long simmering thing and we're never going to fully know it. There were some innuendos on Twitter and on the talk shows and people in the know that this is not necessarily a basketball issue. We do know that Allen will end up somewhere. He'll end up at a strong program because he's a really good player and has the potential to be a star in the right position. He could go to Duke. Duke has already reached out to him apparently, and that makes sense. You got his younger brother coming in, five-star kid. Allen will be at a power five school. And he will be successful. So from an Illini fan's perspective, that will be frustrating if he goes on to have a really good junior and senior year. Whether or not he gets to play right away, that's a whole other issue. But it does sound like this is more than basketball related. And I think that makes the most sense. Some sort of personal issue or or something in his life that made him say, you know, I got to move back east. I got to get out of Illinois for whatever reason. And that doesn't soften the blow. But in a way, it will if he goes to a really good program that we don't have to play. Let's say he does go to Duke, right? Well, fine. Okay, we move on. We hopefully fill things up in the grad transfer, just the transfer market, and you move on. I don't want to so quickly shut the book on the Alan Griffin chapter and say, well, we're going to move on. We're going to be fine. 
But let me try to paint a bit of a rosy picture and try to do so in an objective way. Your roster coming into next year, assuming IO goes pro, which I think we can assume, though, hey, maybe at this point we're due for a pleasant surprise and IO says, you know what? With all this upheaval and uncertainty about NBA combine and drafting, why not come back a senior year? It could happen, or junior year, sorry. It could happen, but we aren't counting on it. But even without Io, and even without Alan Griffin and Andres Feliz, I know these are pretty big names that are leaving. Your starting five next year is looking like Andre Corbello, for sure. He's your point guard probably for the next four years, which is great. And that alone makes me think that we can overcome a lot of things when you have a point guard as good as he is. Adam Miller, starting five, he's in there. Demonte Williams, your glue guy, he's in there. Trent Frazier, of course, and we're hoping for that resurgent year. This is a small lineup so far. And then Kofi down low. Now, it will be interesting to see, depending on Hutcherson and Grandison, if either one of those guys makes a crack into the starting five. I'm not sure about that. For size and for balance, it may be good if one of them did crack their way into that starting five, but at whose expense? It's hard to imagine a starting five without Adam Miller, Andre Corbello, Trent Frazier, and Kofi for sure. And maybe that's leaving DeMonte as the odd man out. But, you know, DeMonte found his way in the starting lineup this year. He kept that starting spot. And then in February, began to really open some eyes in terms of, okay, we knew defensively he could do good things. But he started making three-pointers too. DeMonte does that next year. I keep him in the starting five with every other good thing that he brings on the court. So that's what you're looking at. Uh, your eight or nine deep would still be Corbello, Miller, Frazier, DeMonte, Kofi, Hutcherson, Grandison. I always mix those two guys up. And then who else are we thinking about? Oh, well, Georgie, I guess as well. So then that leaves some uncertainty going down the bench. I, I think depth could become an issue if you have any injuries or if one of these wing guys doesn't pan out. And that's why you are now looking at the transfer and the grad transfer market, whether it be DJ Carton the kid McGowan from Pittsburgh, Wichita State guy whose name escapes me. There's another kid, uh, kid from Radford that they're looking at right now as well. You know, this is all going to sort out. And the good thing is you at least have a program to sell immediate playing time and a likely tournament run, because I do want to really focus on that. Next year's team without Io and Andres and Allen. I think we definitely have to lower that ceiling. I don't know if we're looking at a Big Ten title team, unfortunately. I think we could have been sniffing that if Allen were to come back and have the year that a lot of us hoped he would, a true breakout junior year where all of a sudden he's on the radar in the conference. It could have happened. Well, now it won't. Time to recalibrate a little bit. But I think you still have enough on this roster to make the tournament, and that all goes back to having a phenomenal point guard, which I presume, okay, based on everything that everyone said, based on all the videos and the moxie of this kid, to use a cliche, that Andre Corbello is immediately going to be a very good college basketball player. Adam Miller may take a little bit of time to get into it, but a point guard opens up everything for everybody, including a Trent Frazier that with a resurgent senior year could make a huge difference on this team. We know how good Trent can be when he's on, and I feel like a pure point guard, which Io and Andres were not, a pure point guard could open things up for Trent now that he doesn't have to be the primary ball handler. And then you got Kofi down low. So you have enough here to make me think that this could still be a very good team. I really like the starting five that you roll out. I like the prospect of one of those wings panning out. And you get two years with each of them too. So that's another benefit of this is they are not grad transfers. That's why they had to set out. You get two years each, two 22-year-old wing players. Now, I did see something that uh, Jake, who helps out with the Jeremy Warner show, tweeted out, how soon we forget about a Mark Allstork. Basically, his point was, 
we can get all excited about these guys that we haven't seen in action yet. And then they start playing and we realize that it is, in fact, a big step up from either D3 or a mid-major like these two guys have to make to play in the Big Ten. And it certainly is. But as Jeremy had also said in his show yesterday, you got Duncan Robinson at Michigan as an example of one of these transfers that was a wing who could shoot and it translated. I hope that's the case. And again, with a distributor like Crabello, hopefully that's the great equalizer. You know, you weren't asking for these guys to be stars. You were kind of asking for Mark Allstork to be a jack of all trades on a team that didn't really have a pure point guard and had an identity crisis as a team anyways. That's Underwood's first season, which feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Mark Allstork at Illinois. That really does feel like a decade ago. So you can withstand this. You're in a position now where you can withstand this, but we do need to probably lower the ceiling until we see what these wings are made of and just how immediately Crabello and Miller can make an impact. I am going to be interested to see, and this is not based on any information, so don't take this for a rumor. No, I have no information about this. But it does make sense that Io would maybe consider, given the circumstances, would consider coming back, whereas a month ago, no way. And understandable. The flip side of that with Io coming back would be the near injury that he had against Michigan State. And if you want an eye-opening moment, that would be it, thinking that my season's over. I came back to lead this team to the tournament, and all those dreams are dashed because of one slip on the court. And if that had been a disastrous injury, the entire trajectory of his career changes. So he would be taking a risk coming back, even if he, let's say, is an early second-round pick gets the three-year contract, gets a few million dollars. Well, he would have to earn his spot on a team. I think he would. I know Io, the measurables or maybe, well, let's be real, the shooting percentage isn't something that's going to make teams' eyes pop. But I think once he got on the court that he would earn his spot no matter what team drafted him. But he has to be thinking about that. Sure, there's the uncertainty about the draft and the combine, but on the flip side of that is knowing if he did come back, he could get injured. And if it were worse than that Michigan State situation, that would put uh, his career in question, his ability to make money from his talent. That, that's a scary thing to do. So I, I think that probably balances out this uncertainty about the timeline of when would the combine or when would the draft be? Is the draft going to be in August or September? Who knows at this point? And all these players, Io and other underclassmen that need to make that decision whether they go pro or not, they're going to be in limbo here for a bit. And we are too in terms of knowing whether he will or won't. I got to think it's going to be well before we figure that out. In the meantime, at least there is this grad transfer and just transfer market. And there's the uncertainty too that the NCAA may in fact bring that rule down that says, well, you get one transfer in your four or five year college stint. You get one transfer without penalty. If that comes to pass, then that changes everything for everybody. But I do think that this coaching staff, their ability to identify talent. I do feel a little bit better about the situation than I would have been Underwood's first year where we didn't really know what kind of talent evaluator he was. The good news, bad news is that you're losing Alan Griffin. That's the bad news, of course. But the good news is that he was able to identify a three-star kid from New York who was undervalued, bring him in, and that was a great bit of talent evaluation. You could include Georgie in that, and I know that Georgie struggled his sophomore year, and I'm not really sure what to expect from Georgie going forward, to be honest. But I do wonder, okay, if he was able to identify these guys that were not highly sought after, can he do the same for a grad transfer market or a transfer market that's going to be flush with talent? Can he find that diamond in the rough that could come in and be an immediate impact player, especially offensively? Because I do think that this team, if they're going to be successful next year to the degree that we want them to be, the identity is going to be completely different than what we saw this year. 
this team next year will win based on shooting. And Allen would have been a big part of that. But I'm really counting on Trent to return to form. And again, now that he gets to play off the ball, I think that helps. I'm really counting on Adam Miller being able to make shots. Even though he won't be perfect his freshman year, we know that he's a shot maker. And then you have the two wings that are a bit of proven commodities in terms of shooting. So I got to think at least one of them can be a good shooter too. If you can find one more shooter out there, then all of a sudden your identity changes from this team that was sort of play downhill, attack the basket over and over again to stretch out that half-court offense, let Kofi be down low, and then open up all that space for the shooters. Very different identity from what we had this year. And just imagine, I mean, we said this throughout the entire season, what this year's team would have been like if they could just make more shots. These Big Ten games wouldn't all been two or three possession games at the end of it. Illinois probably would have had a few more blowouts so they could just make shots at a higher percentage. So if you can bring that in next year, I think that does offset to a degree the losses that you'll have. I don't want to sell Andres Ayo or Alan Short. They were three of your best five players this year. They just were. But I think a new identity is possible for this team and that they could excel as long as you got shot makers on the court. So that will be the thing to look forward in the next month or two or however long this goes. Because again, not just the NBA is in flux with the pandemic. Every sport, the timelines are all going to be screwy. Everything's going to be extended. Now, I think in the state of Illinois, you can send in your taxes all the way until July 15th, three months. I mean, that, that's just one indicator that we are really kind of kicking the can down the road for a lot of different things, sports included. And you know, as we sit here on March 26th, I do wonder when the next sporting event that we'll be able to go to will be i mean will the nfl even start on time there's whispers about that having those guys having to readjust their schedule which would mean the baseball who even knows so this idea that you need to shore up the roster within the next month or so i I don't know i mean (laughs) the guys that are on the transfer market they're they got bigger fish to fry too that's that was one thing that entered my mind when alan announced that i thought man first off this news sucks you know, we have no sports to begin with. We didn't get to see Illinois in the tournament this year after so badly wanting to. And I had kind of come to peace with that. And then the next bit of news we get about Illinois basketball is Alan Griffin's transferring. And I thought, Alan, you know, not good timing, my friend. Now, this is selfish coming from me as I get to sit at home and record podcasts or work in the album or watch TV, try to pass the time. My pandemic situation is fairly easy, okay? But nonetheless, it still does have an impact on one's mood. So I see that come down the pike and I think, you got to be kidding me, you know, during this freaking pandemic. And now we're losing one of my favorite players. And that is true. You know, I look at Alan Griffin and think, and I'd have to remember a little better than what I can off the top of my head here. Bryant Notry was a really highly touted guy coming in. From what I remember, everybody was really excited about Bryant Notry. It didn't pan out. And I think he finished his career at UIC and by no means when he started playing, did he have the ceiling By the time he was a sophomore, did he have the ceiling of an Alan Griffin? I know that he was productive to an extent for Illinois, but I and I do remember people being disappointed when he left. That's the only situation I could think of of someone leaving somewhat unexpectedly. And the reaction of Illini fans being, oh man, you could have been so good. This is kind of new territory as an Illini fan because we haven't had great luck in the last decade, well, really almost 15 years as a basketball program. But we haven't had a whole lot of talented guys leave midway through to go somewhere else. We had the Jeremy Richmond situation. That was its own thing, whatever that was about. And certainly there was disappointment with that, but we could chalk that up to, oh, well, he's a knucklehead and doesn't have his stuff figured out. Okay, fine. Uh, Allen, there weren't really those same indications that, well, he's a knucklehead, this or that. He didn't really get suspended 
from what I recall here, apart from stepping on Stefanovic at Purdue, which when that happened, I remember thinking, Alan, what's, what's wrong with you? But I'm not going to get in any sort of armchair psychologist or try to figure out you know, the inner workings of Alan Griffin's brain. All I know is that on the court, it is disappointing. I wish you were still here. On the court next year, I think there is still a path to be a very good team. And part of that will be shoring up the depth on your roster with the transfer market and hopefully getting another immediately eligible guy in here. And, you know, for Underwood and the staff, they seem to be shocked about this. And and why not? It did seem like this team's culture and the locker room chemistry, all that sort of thing, it worked. And that Allen fit in with that. I mean, if you're going by body language alone, he looked to be happy enough. But again, we don't know the inner workings. We don't know what other motivations there may be. So good luck to him. I, I will miss watching Allen on the court. He, he brought an energy that this team sorely needed. I think he was primed for a breakout year. And now you got to count on these two wing transfers, basically producing what he would have. And then everybody else kind of bringing a little bit more. And Trent, we're looking at you specifically from an offensive standpoint, and then maybe getting one more guy in. So it's it's possible. I didn't even mention Tevian Jones. That was a sort of weird saga from the beginning where he had the one breakout game against Maryland his freshman year. He's got the size. He's got the length. But often he did look lost on the court. He came out in that Michigan State game at home about three or four minutes in because I think of foul trouble. And was maybe even the first guy off the bench, which kind of puzzled me and I think everybody else in the State Farm Center. Why is Tev the first guy out? He made a three, but then immediately Michigan State went right back down. Tev misses guy, and Michigan State makes a three, which sort of sums up what Tev was in the limited minutes he was on the court. Flashes, but not enough consistency where we would have entered next year thinking, all right, this is Tev's breakout year. He may never have a breakout year. He may go into the same file as like a DJ Williams, who was a four-star kid coming out of high school, and then it just didn't pan out. And you saw little moments where you thought, oh, I like this DJ Williams kid. I like this Tev Jones kid. And then it just doesn't translate consistently to the Power 5 level. So Allen will end up at a good school. Let's be real. Tev, it might be a little bit trickier. Just like DJ went to George Washington, and I don't even know if he's still there. He might have transferred again. But that seems the sort of fit for a Tev Jones. And there will be interest in a 6-7 shooting guard slash forward hybrid thing. I mean, someone will want him. And he may have success, but I can't count on that the same way that I would with Alan Griffin. All right, so some news on the podcast front. We do have the ability to record interviews beginning this weekend. And we will start that next week. I will talk with Isaac and Trevor. I'll try to get Brightweiser on. And we will get Corey Bradford on next week. So Corey and I are going to find a day and a time to talk about that. And he was always a great guest on Tay and Jay and Tay and Carp. He is well aware of my Corey, how he was one of my favorite players growing up. And I'm really excited for that. And in all this downtime, you know, hopefully I get the ability to bring on some other former players, some people that I haven't talked to in a while, whether that be former players or even I mentioned Brightweiser too. This will open things up because as much as I appreciate you guys listening to the monologue podcast, it is, even for me, a lot more fun to do a conversation. So we will be getting that set up this weekend. Excited for it. I think the audio quality will be really good as well. What it will be are Skype interviews through my computer. I just had to get the necessary equipment to rig that through my mixer back into Audacity. Now I think I got that. So we will begin that uh, early next week in terms of the interviews as I get that set up this weekend. Just a reminder, of course, DP Doe, 
State Farm agent Brian Hansen, Fourth and Kirby. Now more than ever, support your local businesses, and we really appreciate them and uh, hope that you all show them a little bit of love during this very uncertain time. I noticed yesterday I went to campus and then I went to the Boneyard Creek area. I just drove my car and sat, opened the back of it, sat in the trunk, and I was trying to work on new music. And there were these two guys, you know, 50 years old or so, and they'd finished a run, and they were maybe 20 feet away from me at Boneyard Creek. And they're talking about the you know, quarantine, social distancing, all that. And one of them starts talking about Pritzker and, you know, closing restaurants and bars, and he was frustrated about that. And I get that, you know, and I wasn't really sure where the conversation was going. And then the guy continued and said, well, you know, I don't know why they just don't quarantine Chicago. I mean, we don't need it here. And I thought, oh, my God, here, here's the thing, right? This stinks. And it is easy for me to say, as someone that we're going to start teaching online next week, so I'll get back into the working thing as well. But uh, it's easy for me to say, ah, you know, whatever with the economy, I just want people to live. Yeah, there are economic consequences with all this, and it's not easy. 3.2 million, I think, unemployment claims within the last week, and it's going to get worse. So I understand the argument, but at the same time, we will get out of this quicker if everyone just does their part and stays home. And hopefully we come on the other side and we can make the recovery a little bit quicker. I just thought it was striking. And because I know that as this guy said it, he's not the only one that feels that way. And I don't know what the divide is. I'm sure there's some political divide here. There might be an age or demographic divide. I mean, it used to be where a week ago, we're talking about all the spring breakers, the college kids that are being reckless down in Miami Beach. And yeah, total knuckleheads. And they need to be a little more conscientious about how they could be carriers of this, right? But I did find it interesting that these two 50-something guys, you know, obviously healthy out there for a run and everything, and here they are complaining about, well, why don't they just quarantine Chicago as if viruses don't travel? Yeah, it's in our community, in Champaign-Urbana. We got eight cases, but those are confirmed cases. And knowing how hard it is, a friend of mine who now is finally coming out on the other side of it was fairly certain that he had corona based on about three or four of the symptoms that they list with it. And he was not able to get a test. And he's not alone. You know, there's tens of thousands out there that probably had the same story. We don't know how many people are out there with this thing. But I do notice anytime I go out in public, and fortunately in Champaign-Urbana, it's a small enough place where I could go to campus or go to Boneyard Creek and have that social distancing built in where even as people yesterday were enjoying a beautiful day outside, going on walks with their dog, going for runs, if you saw someone coming the opposite way on a sidewalk, one person would either hop in the street or they'd go off to the side. They would make sure that there was plenty of space between each other. So at least from what I've seen anecdotally, we get it in Champaign-Urbana. I haven't seen any public gatherings yet. For the most part, people are keeping to their own devices. And if there is one positive thing in the midst of all this craziness, one positive thing is as I look outside, at any given moment, I'm seeing either a family taking a walk outside or somebody walking their dog. And it's that music that I think it's called morning mood. I just think of that when I see all these people, this sort of idyllic existence of just going out on walks, very kind of leave it to beaver, Pleasantville sort of thing. Obviously, there's the ominous specter of death, you know, looming over everybody. But it is a chance to recharge a bit, I guess, for everybody kind of to hit the reset button and realize that, okay, this sucks economically this sucks this has consequences that will last for a while but at the end of the day the core of our existence are the people that we surround ourselves with friends family and whether it be google hangouts with my friends or whether it be 
just watching TV with Kara and the dog or talking with my parents on the phone last night, it is kind of recalibrating and understanding the importance of that. So throughout this process, and I would love to say in a month or in six weeks, we begin to gradually open things back up. I keep on circling July 10th, Rage at Alpine Valley, which I know is probably a pipe dream, but I can't tell you how great it's going to feel to go to that first concert. And I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you open up schools for one. I don't know how you open up gatherings in general or even restaurants. When is it okay to go back? And you know, who's going to tell us that it's okay to do that? Is it going to be state by state? Is it going to be federal? And then even when they do, how many people are going to feel comfortable doing that? As much as I want to go see Rage at Alpine, would I do it at the expense of having to come back home and quarantine for two weeks just to be safe so I didn't bring the disease back with me? So uncharted territory, uncharted, excuse me, territory, like I said two episodes ago. And we're just kind of figuring this thing out as we go. Now, fortunately, from a podcast perspective, we had some new material to cover. We have some Remember When material to cover. And... It is the 15th anniversary of the best game I've ever seen, the best comeback I've ever seen, and the only thing that could potentially top this would be Illinois winning a national title. I've seen Yankees World Series championships. It has been since 2009. I know, play the world's smallest violin for Yankees fans, but I've seen enough of those to not probably have that same sort of emotional, jubilant responses I would if Illinois finally won that elusive national title. But for me, growing up, the 89 team was held in such high regard that just the term Final Four, just that alone, that banner that was hanging in the assembly hall was enough for me. And I thought with that 0405 team, as the season was going on, even as they were 29-0, and 0, <laughs> you know, of course you're thinking national title. But I thought as long as they make the Final Four, This will be, to me, what 89 was to a lot of people. And for selfish reasons, I wanted that kind of season. I look back to how people talk about the 85 Bears. And I kind of got that in 06 when they made the Super Bowl. I know they didn't win it, but I was at the U of I campus with a bunch of other Chicago Bears fans. I was able to experience that live and in person. And that meant a lot to me. And for the 0405 team, it was the same sort of thing. I get my Final Four moment. So when the tournament started, it felt like those first four games were really just kind of biding time until we ultimately get to the final four. You beat Fairleigh Dickinson. What was that second round? Uh, Nevada, which it took me a second to remember that. Nevada. Can't even tell you how good of a game D or Darren had. I know we won. I think Augustine might have had a really good game against Nevada. And then the Wisconsin-Milwaukee game, which it just so happened that I had my wisdom teeth taken out that morning and... It was early enough where the meds wore off. I only had to get two of them taken out, go to Garcia's Pizza with some friends right before the game starts, and we head back to the house. And by that point, I was fine to watch Illinois handle Bruce Pearl in Milwaukee. So that was a Thursday. And what was great about getting that done is, okay, okay, we're in the Elite Eight. I remember watching the Arizona-Oklahoma State game. That was a two-versus-three seed game, and not really sure who I would rather face, though it was clear that Arizona was Salim Stoudemire and Hassan Adams, they probably had the two best guys on the court. So they won that game. And now we have the matchup set. You get to watch the Friday Sweet 16 games with relative ease. And then Saturday, I woke up on what was, I think, an unseasonably warm day. I remember wearing shorts. And back at that age, as long as it was 55 degrees or more, I was wearing shorts. And I go outside to this basketball hoop that we have down at the end of the street. I never really took full advantage of as a kid because I, one, wasn't a very good basketball player, and two, never really focused on even trying to become one. But I'm just kind of shooting around and trying to clear my head, and I realize that this is it. Like this, from a sports fan's perspective, is a moment for me. And 
five, six hours from this moment of me just shooting baskets outside that I'm going to know if Illinois is in the final four. And sometimes you want to snap your finger and just know, right? Just save yourself all the anxiety and the nerves and just, will we snap your fingers? Yes, you will. But even if someone had snapped their fingers and said Illinois is in the final four, it would not have prepared me for what those two hours or two plus hours were like. Because that game was the type where you were just spent at the end of it. And Illinois took a small lead in the halftime. I remember thinking, okay, you know, we didn't play our best half. I think we're fine. But whereas a lot of games that year, you felt as a fan like you had a handle on it, right? Even if you were up five points at halftime, you felt like, okay, well, we're about to explode here in the second half. There was an uneasiness with the way that that first half went and then the second half starts. And pretty quickly it became clear that this was the worst game that Illinois had played all year. On the flip side of that, maybe the best game Arizona had played all year. There's no other explanation for how a team was going to get up 15 points on that Illinois team. No other explanation. Now, if I recall, James Augustine did foul out, which unfortunately is a bit of foreshadowing for what would happen in the national championship game. That's why Jack Ingram got as many minutes as he did. Luther was gimpy. He had, he had the bum ankle, and he was not the Luther that we had gotten used to. Of course, there was a signature moment later in that game, even with that bad ankle. I had a bunch of friends over. I think there were about seven or eight of us in the main room downstairs. My parents and my sister, I think, were at Esquire, watching with all the neighborhood friends. And as the game is going on in that second half, and we're down seven, we're down eight. And usually I'm at that age, cursing, just trying to get some sort of anger out. You know, I'm just sitting sort of blankly in misery at the TV and not saying a word. And really no one in this room, I mean, any other tournament game that we had watched with our group of friends, we would be able to joke around, usually because Illinois was winning. Uh, but even if things weren't going well, we would kind of turn it into a cathartic cussing, you know, just getting a bunch of bad words out there at once about the opposing team. There was none of that. I think we were all shell-shocked. And it, there was this feeling of, it can't end this way. And I know that all Illini fans felt that same way, that you were this close to it all ending. And that team ending what would have been, I think, 35-2, and two, Elite Eight, you don't hang banners for the Elite Eight. And that would have really cast an entirely different light on that season, which would have been so unfortunate. So here we are, 75-60. to 60. And I remember Channing Fry hitting that three, I think, to go up 15. Right before that, about, let's say, six minutes to go in the game, I excused myself from our family room. And I went upstairs to the playroom, which is above the garage. And I decided I need to watch this by myself because I'm not sure how I'm going to react. I could feel that anger kind of bubbling under the surface, and I thought, I don't want to look like a fool. If I go up there, at least if I yell or something like that, I got a couple doors and walls that will mute it so people won't think I'm totally nuts. Channing Fry hits the three, and we had an ironing board up in the playroom, and there was a starch bottle on it, and I just grabbed the starch bottle, and I launch it against the wall. Now, the good news is that it was a perfect circle, so when it came to drywalling and fixing it, no problem. I got it done became very good at drywalling after that. But that was a moment where now, on top of a 15-point deficit, I look at this wall and think, you idiot. We're going to lose, and I got to clean this up. And I got to explain this to my parents that I got so angry I threw a starch bottle into the wall. So anyways, now it's under four minutes. I think there's an under four-minute timeout. We get back into play. Illinois hits three. It's 12. Maybe they hit another three. It's nine. And this whole sequence of events, it all happens so quickly in this surreal sort of way where you get within a minute and I think it's still a five or six point game at that point 
And I remember saying to the TV as if it were listening or something, don't come back. Like, either come back and win this or don't come back at all. I don't want this whole fake rally thing, which at that time I didn't even know what a fake rally was. Wouldn't that have been the ultimate fake rally? Let's say Darren misses that three-pointer. Arizona gets it. They make some free throws. I don't even want to think about that alternative. Fortunately, we don't have to. But I remember just saying to the TV, either come back and win or don't come back at all. Do not do this to me. Well, they do come back, of course. They get it tied. They go into halftime. They get the stop right before half. And we're in overtime. Now, right after Darren had hit that three, all seven of my friends, Andrew, Antonio, Sean, Asher, there were a couple other guys over as well. They rush upstairs. And we're all just like piled up like, yeah, you know. But even after that, you still had to get a stop. You still had to get a stop to force overtime. You did. And then we get into overtime. And Illinois takes a pretty quick lead, I think, is by as many as six or seven points. That includes Luther Head getting the steal. And then as he's taking it back, just that look on his face. You know, heart of a champion, all the things that Jay Bill has said and Dick Enberg, all true. When Luther is with a bum ankle running down the court to get that layup to put Illinois up six or seven, and at that point thinking, not only are we going to win, we're going to cruise here in overtime. But no, Arizona was right there, and you have it 90 to 89, Arizona with the ball. And this is what made it so tough. That last possession, I've never been more pit in my stomach nervous in my life about a sporting event. Thinking, if we were up two, at least it would feel like Arizona would try for the tie. Okay. If we were up three, at least you knew worst case scenario, we go double OT and all bets are off and maybe we can run away with it in second overtime. But it was so tantalizingly close and you knew that one made shot completely flips it and then the season just ends. Add in the fact that it was Arizona and what had happened just four years ago in the 2001 Elite Eight, the sort of payback idea. And you had a moment that frozen in time when that buzzer sounded and Hassan Adams was way off. Great defense by Luther, who again, bum ankle, but he kept him in front of him. The missed shot, I probably had about a four or five second delay in my own reaction. I, I, it didn't seem real. You know, the buzzer sounds and everybody else in the family room, we're all back down there again. They're freaking out and I don't really know how to emote. Eventually, you know, the shock wears off because it was shock. It was shock that we had come back and won this. It was shock that finally in my life, I got to experience Illinois in a final four. And in some weird way, I kind of made this thought in my mind of, I can't wait to buy an Illinois final four t-shirt. I don't even know where it's at. I wish I did. I got to be somewhere stashed at home maybe but i remember going to game day spirit that monday and i was like i gotta get three different shirts you know i gotta have this final four apparel because at least i'll have this you know no matter what happens this next week in st louis i got this so we're all celebrating at the house i remember on my old flip phone singular flip phone i get a call from my parents i'm talking to them at esquire it's hard to hear anything from their end and we'd done it you know it was just absolute jubilation i think i went to get mcrib afterwards because McRib was in season at McDonald's go figure and then later that night we're sitting around the dining room table my parents come home and then the news is out that Illinois will be returning to town at I think 9 9 30 something like that and that of course was the legendary trip back where you had fans on overpasses welcoming the team back all the way up into Paxton to Kankakee a hero's welcome hero's return and right at the assembly hall so this is basically the southeast corner all along there, 
and all the way down St. Mary's Road, up in facility, just absolutely packed. So we, the family, we go over there, and everyone's just lined up along the sidewalks. Again, a hero's welcome, and this feeling of, holy crap, you know, like we, I knew that I had a full week to get to revel in this. I knew that the next day, which was Easter, that I'd be able to watch two more basketball games with ease, knowing that, ah, we're in. It's all good. We're in. And that's one of my favorite feelings in the NCAA tournament. When your team wins, and then you get to watch games after that. It's such a nice feeling. Like, oh, yeah, well, we took care of our business, and now I just get to watch and enjoy other games with no pressure at all. And keep in mind, the next day, I think Michigan and Kentucky, Michigan State, sorry, and Kentucky, they went to OT or double OT. That was Drew Neitzel in that Michigan State team. And there was one other game as well. I don't know if that was the Louisville. No, Louisville had won the day before. So it would have been North Carolina beating, was it Villanova? In a really close game, the one that ultimately would have helped Illinois out quite a bit. But yeah, that that was truly 15 years ago, the greatest moment I've had as a sports fan. I think the greatest moment a lot of Illini fans have had in general, uh, regardless of any success we have going forward, that's a date that you'll remember. Now, Jeremy and Austin are going to be having Bruce Weber on here in just a bit. I'm finishing this up a little bit before they have him on at 930. So I'm excited to listen to that. Good old Brucey. I know that Lon, if he had the ability to ask a question to Bruce, it might turn ugly pretty quick. But at least for today, the 15-year anniversary of the greatest Illinois basketball game ever, I'm sure that's what they'll be focusing on. And it is cool that the passage of time would allow Bruce to hop on a Champaign-Urbana show and talk about it. Because you get far enough removed from it, from how everything went down in 2012, that I'm, I am got to think there's less bitterness I know Bruce has had mixed success at Kansas State, a bad year this year, but did make an Elite Eight, what was it, just a year ago or two years ago? So he's got his own thing going out there. The passage of time helps with that. Looking back on it, what made that 2005 run all the more spectacular was I already knew I was going to Illinois the next year. And it felt like, yes, this was a team that would be hard to top, but it also felt like even though Weber was not really killing it in terms of recruiting, that we would find a way. Like Illinois basketball was here to stay and that for the four years that I would be at school, it would be great. Well, the four years I was at the University of Illinois, we had Dean James senior year, which was still a pretty good year. You finished second in the Big Ten. If you would have beaten Penn State at home, you would have won another Big Ten title. And there were great games at home. There was the Iowa senior night where Crush was just merciless against Greg Bruner. There was the Georgetown game in the Big Ten ACC Challenge that was phenomenal, or maybe that wasn't even Big Ten ACC Challenge then. Uh, but there were moments. There was the Michigan State game during break where I had actually bought a couple student tickets right on the baseline, or on the sideline rather, for D. Brown's, I think, 30-point game against Michigan State on early January. It was right after New Year's. So there were moments that year where it still felt special. I went to my first Bragg and Rights game where... Jamar Smith went off and Illinois won by like 30 points. And I think Quinn Snyder got the popcorn dunked on his head. But my sophomore year would have been the 12 seed against Virginia Tech year where things just weren't right. And I think that also included the Jamar Smith, Brian Carwell situation. And that really put a damper on any of the end of season stuff. Even had you beaten Virginia Tech, which you should have, you should have. Uh, it did feel like what happened? You go from a one seed to a four seed to a 12 seed. And then the next year, of course, you go like 14 and 19, and you do make a run of the Big Ten tournament, but that team stunk to high heaven. So that was my run in college uh, with the senior year ending with the four seed, Chester Frazier, and let's see, Trent Meacham, Dimitri McKamey, Mike Davis, Mike Tisdale, a decent team that overachieved probably, but it, the magic was gone. It wasn't there. So it felt like we were on the precipice of greatness, and I'm right there with Lon and his frustration that Weber could not maintain 
maybe not that level of ridiculous success, but just top 20 caliber program, which is what he inherited, really a top 15 caliber program, he was not able to maintain it. I'm totally with him on that frustration. And I also think the notion of keeping Weber, which a few people throw out there, not so much now that Underwood had a good third season. No, it wouldn't have worked. That thing was broken. We knew it. Weber knew it. He was probably somewhat relieved to get out of here and find a spot where there is less pressure and where he can kind of build the program that he's capable of building and maintaining. So, no, it it was what it was. We can look back on that with fondness when Bruce does come back, and that will happen. You know, 20th anniversary of the 0405 team. Maybe he's retired from Kansas State at that point. He comes back. He would get a huge, warm welcome. And I think that we can look back on his tenure here and really kind of divide it in half. The first half of it was pretty damn good. Or let's say the first three years, especially, were the most successful three years of any stretch in Illini basketball history. You have an outright Big Ten championship his first year, followed by a Final Four appearance in his second year, and then the third year they still had a gaudy record of like 27-8, and eight, I don't even know, disappointing into a really good Washington team in the NCAA tournament. But that's an amazing three-year stretch, and certainly D. Brown had a major role in that, Darren, Luther, James, Roger, all of that, but... He did have success, and he really, I thought, maximized Self's talent for those three years. He maximized what you could do with those guys. Certainly, it's a little bit different if Self stays and a Charlie Villanueva is a part of that 0405 team. We can also look back and say Brian Randall had not punched the wall, and he was out there for the 0405 team. It would have made a difference. All the what-ifs, but for the first three years, Weber had a phenomenal run. He is a very smart basketball coach. There's no denying that, but in terms of program building, identity issues. It's like he couldn't quite figure that out, which is unfortunate. I would have loved for Weber to just stay here for 20 years and keep it a top 20 program, essentially have Lou Henson part two. We don't need to worry about coaching upheaval. And I'm hoping now that we're entering the fourth year, Brad Underwood, that maybe we can build something like that. You know, losing guys to the transfer market, regardless of why they're leaving, is always a little bit unsettling. So what I really need, and I know we're months away from it, I need basketball to start again. I need Andre Curbelo to be the special player that we all anticipate he will be. And in the meantime, maybe they get another guy or two to kind of ease our fears about losing somebody like Alan Griffin. So to tie that back in, uh, from current day to 15 years ago and then now back to current day, as we sit here on March 26, not knowing when the next basketball game or any sporting event is going to take place, it is fun to play a little bit of Remember When, and hopefully as time goes on, we will get some positive Illini news. I would love to get a call from Isaac, just like I did two nights ago, but this one be, dude, Io staying. Let's go. I want that call. So Isaac, just be at the ready. If I order it out, something like that, I need a let's go from Isaac Ambrose. So going forward, 200 level, this is the last solo, fully solo podcast I'll do. If you recall, before all the second half post-game podcast, what we would do is I'd have a you know 40-minute monologue sort of thing, and then we would go into a conversational hour, something like that. That's the hope going forward. So once we get this interview rig set up this weekend, I'll be able to do that, and I think the audio quality will be good enough, hopefully really, really good, but at least good enough, where you won't get annoyed with you know streaming issues, buffering, all that crap. So we will have that set up this weekend. I'm excited for that. And at that point, it will feel like, despite the lack of live sports to talk about, that we will be able to kind of find our niche again. In the meantime, thanks for listening during these solo podcasts during very uncertain times. It is right now still a sunny morning, so I'm going to try to go out there and get a little bit of sunshine before it gets cloudy for the next week. Ugh. 
But wasn't that nice? Isn't it amazing how a little bit of sunshine can completely change your mood? At least it does for me. I mean, you can even take the pandemic out of it. If I had been going about my regular day-to-day schedule and were cloudy for an entire week, seemingly, it does kind of become a drag. But man, was it nice yesterday to get outside in the sunshine and see people walking and maintaining their social distance. So far, Champaign-Urbana, they're doing their part. I think the state of Illinois doing our part. I just hope that the more we do now, the quicker we can get back to doing normal things. Because the first time I can go to Huber's for a drink, the first time I can go back to a concert, you know, the first time I can just hang out with my family and not worry about maybe being a carrier or something like that, all these things that you do to an extent take for granted, they will come back. And when they do, isn't that going to be sweet? All right, so next week, back to the more conversational pod. We'll have maybe a short monologue, but I will be really happy to start talking to other people. And in this time, more than ever, we need to be able to have conversations. Thanks to DP Doe. Order online at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online to get your Lanai swag at fourthandkirby.com. Coupon code 200 level or the 200 level. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. All locally raised products there. Their representatives are not just insurance experts, but they have local interest at heart. Brianismyguy.com. Also, Lana Inquirer, partners in the relaunch of the 200 level and Champagne Showers Podcast Network. We will be back next week. Maybe, hopefully, some positive Alani news as well. I mean, would love to land another talented score, and then we can start putting that too deep for next year's roster out there and say, here's our starting five. Here are the first guys off the bench. These are the kind of exercises we need at a time like this, and I think we all need something to offset the disappointing loss of Alan Griffin. All right, stay safe, stay healthy, stay home. We'll be back next week with some guests, including Corey Bradford on the 200 level. <laughs>